0: Hey, good morning, and thank you for joining with us today. We're so glad that you've been here, and I hope that this family vacation series has been as much fun for you to reflect on all of those great family vacations that you've taken as it has been uh, for me and my family to reflect as well. Or maybe you've been remembering those family vacations that just kind of blew up. And maybe you can look back on it now, and it's funny, but in the moment, it wasn't funny. Just two years ago, we took a trip to Florida, and we were so excited for this trip, but we booked our flights, and it was a late-night flight because that was the cheapest rate, and that's how I like to do family vacation. And so uh, we booked this flight. It ended up being delayed for about an hour. So we landed in Florida about 11.45. By the time we got through baggage claim, got our bags, and we're on our way to the rental car, it was easily midnight. And as we get there, we walk up to the uh, company that we rented our rental car from, and it was all dark. But there was a sign that said, if no one's here, go down to the garage. So we walked down to the garage, walked up to that black sign that says, sorry, due to COVID, we have limited hours. So it's now about 12.30 a.m., we ended up renegotiating another car rental uh, agreement with a different company for about $300 more than I had booked our original car rental for. Drove, finally got in the car, got everything loaded. My boys are exhausted. And we get to the condo. and We think, finally, we're here. It's about 2.30 in the morning. And as I get out, I go to the lockbox. I put in the code. I open it up. And there are no keys. Now, I don't know how you respond to things like this, but my mind at 2.30 a.m. is like pure mush. So I started calling the people whose condo we were staying at. Now, they lived out of state and hours away. I'm not sure what I thought they could do for me at 2.30, but I called them probably 35 times until I finally got an answer. They had no other solutions for me, except they were a little more clear-headed and said, why don't you stay in a hotel tonight and we'll figure it out the next day. And so that's what we did. And so we can look back on it, but I'm pretty sure that in the middle of that, I told my wife, you know, maybe we should just go back to the airport, get on the first plane we came back to Minneapolis and just call this thing a wash and not worry about it. Have you ever had one of those trips? Or maybe as we've gone through this series, even you're thinking about your parenting skills and what it means to raise your kids and to help them follow Jesus. And you're thinking, man, I am just not doing as well as the other parents I see around me. And that can be a really dangerous, really slippery slope for us to get on. And so I want you to realize this and I want you to rest in this. No matter how good or how bad you think your parenting is, you have never lost the savior of the world. Can you imagine being Mary and Joseph Jesus' parents, and they lost Jesus. I mean, you want to talk about a train wreck of a vacation? Jesus' family had a train wreck of a road trip to Jerusalem. They go to Jerusalem for Passover. Everything goes great there. They have a great time. They enjoy their time. They celebrate Passover. And on the way home, Mary looks at Joseph and says, Hey, Joseph, have you seen Jesus lately? Joseph's like, No, I thought you were watching him. No, I don't know where he's at. And they go running through the crowd of people they're traveling with and they can't find Jesus anywhere. Now, I kind of can identify with Mary and Joseph in this situation just a little bit. Our youngest son, Ethan, has the spiritual gift of being the loudest child I've ever met at sometimes, and the most sneaky, quiet child I've ever met. Have you ever seen the movie Mr. Deeds, the butler that just randomly shows up out of nowhere? that's Ethan. He just walks into a room. You have no clue he's there. And he's like, hi. And we're like, where did you come from? I mean, he will scare you like crazy. And when he was little, we'd go to Target to go run some errands, turn around, and Ethan is gone. Now what he's done is crawled inside the clothes, and he's sitting there just waiting. But Corey and I would be running around Target. Where is he? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Can you find him? I can't find him. I didn't see him. He's not over here. And all of a sudden, he pops his hat on and goes, hi. (laughs) We're like, Ethan. So, like, I totally can kind of relate to Mary and Joseph in this place. But at the same time, like, they lost the Savior of the world. How do you pray at night? You're Mary and Joseph, right? The Bible says in Luke, if you're not familiar with this story, it's in Luke chapter 2, that Jesus is missing for three days. What do you say to God? Like, hey, thanks for trusting us with your son. Thanks for calling us to be his mom and dad here on earth. But God, you know what? He's a sneaky little booger and we lost him. Oh wait, you already know that because you know everything. Uh, So please don't kill us. And if you could figure out where he is, we would love to know that so we could get him back. Or think about the tension. They have to ride their camels or run back to Jerusalem. It took three days. That whole three days, that tension is just building between Mary and Joseph. Joseph's like, "Uh, Mary, what are we going to do? Mary's like, it's not my fault. I didn't lose him. I told you to watch him. And there's this silent tension that builds. Have you been in that car ride with your spouse before, right? You know how that's building. So in the end of Luke chapter 2, we hear the end of this story. And thank goodness it doesn't end with Mary and Joseph getting wiped out for losing the Savior of the world. It starts in Luke 2, verse 41. It says, three days after, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. <coughs> Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Verse 52 is probably the key verse I want us to, to listen and lean in on. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all people. All joking aside, I think that last verse is what any of us who call ourselves Christ followers want for our children. We want to know how to help our kids grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all people. What's that look like? How do we do that? How did Mary and Joseph do it? What was their secret? Well, first of all, they were raising the Savior of the world. They were raising Jesus, so they've got a little bit of an off. But my guess is they took the words of Scripture that they heard taught every time they went to the temple seriously. Words like Zach preached last week when he said, and they knew that God's discipline was really him training them to be godly parents and people who would be able to help others see God's discipline as a good thing that prepared them to live the full and abundant life that God had for them. So how do we do that? How do we take words like Zach preached last week and internalize them and live them out? I think we do that by digging into scripture together. And that's exactly what I wanna do with you this morning. So if you've got your Bible or your phone, go ahead, pull it out, open up to Deuteronomy. Chapter 6, verse 4. This was a very common passage to the Israelite people. It's actually called the Shema. It's one of the oldest daily prayers in Judaism that they would have prayed. And it is God speaking to Moses and saying, listen, my people, they've had moments where they really follow me well. They've had some moments where they didn't follow me so well. But Moses, I need you to give them these instructions so that the next generation might not make the same mistakes the first generation has made. So if you got your Bible, Deuteronomy chapter six, beginning in verse four, you can follow along. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You see, this process of discipline or training that God puts us through is called discipleship. And discipleship is not something that you or myself or our kids will just arrive at one day and be like, ta-da, I'm a fully-baked disciple. It's a process, and it's a lifelong growing process. You might better think of it as this. A growing relationship with Jesus always has another step to take. Don't miss that. A growing relationship with Jesus always has another step to take. Now how do we make sure that this is a process that we continue to live into and that we help our kids live into? I think there's four things we have to do. And the first one is we have to model it. Our kids and our grandkids and the kids around us will repeat and will do the things that we model for them. When we think about family vacations, right? If we want our kids, For our grandkids to take family vacations, we need to invite them into family vacations now as kids. And that we need to model it for them. And so parents and grandparents and family, your modeling of your faith is going to have direct influence and direct impact on how much faith sticks. The truth is, you as a family have the greatest influence in your kid's life. Moses did this for the community of Israel. If you look back just a few verses before we read, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 30, it says this. God is speaking here, and he says, Go tell them, the Israelites, to return to their tents. But you, Moses, stay here with me, so that I may give you all the commands, decrees, and laws that you are to teach them to follow in the land I am giving them to possess. You see, this is an example of Moses pulling away to spend time with God, to make it real in his life first. It is really hard to teach somebody something that you don't know how to do. It's really hard to model something for someone when you don't know how to do it. And so if we want our kids, if we want the kids in our community, the kids in the circles around us to reflect and to live out a lifelong faith, We have to model it for them. We do that by studying God's word. Moses instructed these folks to teach the laws and commands to to the people around them, to the kids, to the next generation. My question for us here today is, when do your kids or grandkids or the kids in your circle of influence get to see you studying scripture? When do they see you reading it, thinking about it, processing it? When do they see you praying? When do they see you cut time out of your family schedule or out of your busy life to invest in a small group? You see, I think when kids see parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles do those things, they begin to realize these things are important. And then when we tell them to go to their small group, they're much more receptive to that because they've watched us. So it's one thing to study God's word. But God says, don't just study it. To Moses, he says, teach them to obey my commands. You know, it's real easy to pick up the Bible, read it, put it down, and forget what it said. But parents, myself included, when do our kids see us Living out the truth of what we read? How do they see us interact with the people in our neighborhood? How do we model for them what it looks like to receive the love of God that is freely given to each and every one of us and then to love our neighbor? Are they witnessing that? Or are they witnessing a two different things where we say one thing and we go and do exactly the opposite? One commentator said, how the next generation is doing with God says a lot about how we are doing with God. So how are you doing? How are you doing at modeling discipleship, at modeling your faith for those kids in that next generation who are all around you? The second thing I, have we do, I think we have to do, if, if discipleship is a growing relationship with Jesus, we have to share stories. Stories are what both begin a connection and keep us connected to our family, to our friends, to the church. By knowing someone's story, we know where they came from, what they do, and who they might know, who we might know in common. And a relationship is formed with a stranger. Stories are foundational to our ability to develop a relationship. And Jesus knew that, and God knew that as he designed us together. If you read just a few verses after where we stopped in Deuteronomy 6.20, God, Moses speaking for God to the Israelites still says, In the future, your children will ask you what is the meaning of these laws, decrees, and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey. Then you must tell them the story. Tell them about how God showed up, how we were slaves in Egypt and we were oppressed. Tell them about the plagues that God sent so that Pharaoh would send us free, set us free. Tell them about the time we walked across the Red Sea and the water was piled up on both sides and the land was dry. Tell them about the manna that fell from the sky, the bread that God provided every morning. Tell them about how when we find that all we had to eat was bread. God brought in quail. Tell them about the time we were thirsty and there was no water and Moses took his staff and hit the rock and water came forth out of the rock. We have to share the stories. This book that we call the Bible is a collection of stories. Stories about when God shows up in people's life and does what only God can do. And it's in the midst of those stories that we're reminded that we each have a story to share. Jesus showed that example too. He often talked about faith in the language of stories. He would say things like, the kingdom of God is like this. Let me use a story to illustrate. Maybe one of the clearest pictures we see of Jesus using stories comes in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6. John the Baptist, who had gone before Jesus, is in prison. He's heard what Jesus is doing, and John sends his disciples out to find Jesus and to see if he really is who he claims to be. And so Jesus sends them back to John, but he says this in Matthew chapter 11. Go back and tell John the Baptist these stories of what you've seen. The blind can see. The cripple can walk. People with skin disease are healed. The people who couldn't hear can now hear. People who have died are alive again. And the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. He doesn't say, hey, go back and tell John that I have brown hair, that I have brown eyes, that I'm five foot 10 Don't go tell him all the facts about me. He knows those things. Tell him the story. And each and every one of us, no matter how young or how old you are, have a story to tell about how God has been at work in your life. And those stories, no matter how significant or insignificant they may feel, have the power to influence somebody else's faith. If a growing relationship with Jesus always has another step to take. We have to model it. We have to share our stories and we have to invest in community. Now parents, maybe I'm alone in this, but so far this is really overwhelming and maybe a little bit scary. I'm supposed to be the one. My faith is gonna be what influences my kid. I'm in this alone. Not actually true. And if you listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy, he's speaking to the entire Israelite community. He didn't say, all right, if you don't have kids, go back to your tent. He called them all together. And he says, listen, these instructions are not just for parents. They're for the entire faith community because the faith of the next generation is dependent on each of you doing your part. And that's what it means to form a faith community. You know, we model what it means to have a faith community in two very significant ways here at Calvary. First is, think about our baptismal promise. We have parents and sponsors come up and stand in front with their baby. And because that baby is too young to make a commitment of faith on their behalf, we ask parents and sponsors to promise to teach them about Jesus, to teach them about God's word, to teach them how to pray, to bring them to church so that one day they have the opportunity to make that faith claim. But if you've been here, often in our baptismal services, we say something like this. Here at Calvary, we also believe that these sponsors and parents can't do this alone, but that each of our kids needs a healthy and vibrant church family to support them and walk alongside them on their faith journey. This means we're asking you to commit to pray for this child, to lead their small groups, to mentor them, to share your stories of faith with them, and to walk alongside these parents and sponsors praying for, supporting, and encouraging them. You see, kids need more people around them. I am here today doing what I do because of the faith community that has surrounded me my entire life. And the second thing we do is we believe and it's in our five-year plan that every kid needs five adults on their team. Five adults other than their parents who are gonna walk alongside of them. Not every kid in our community has a loving and supportive family. And every kid who does have a loving and supportive family, those parents don't always know the best answer to the problem that's before them. But no matter what, God provides a family for us. Psalm 68, 6 says, God places the lonely in families. Parents, you don't have to do this alone. There are people who want to walk alongside you. There are people who want to offer wisdom to you. There are people who want to help you. There are people who want to invest in the lives of your kids. And we're not doing it because we think you don't know what you're doing. We're doing it because we want to support you. We want to give you a break. We want to encourage you. And kids, I want you to know you are loved by lots of people. And there are a lot of people in your corner cheering for you and encouraging you. Our vision is that every kid has a faith family to tell them the story, to remember together the faithfulness that God has provided, what God has done and what God will do and what God is currently doing. So parents, who are you allowing to walk alongside your kid? Who's investing in your son or your daughter? And how are you letting those folks know how important they are? And for those of you here who aren't parents, What kid are you investing in? How are you helping them know they're not alone in this faith development process? A growing relationship with Jesus always has another step to take. Now sometimes these steps feel like to-do lists, right? Like, thanks Jason, you just gave me three more things to do. I got plenty to do this week. I didn't need more on my to-do list. I think the fourth part is you have to make it routine. Now there is nothing fancy about making it routine. Listen to Moses' words to the Israelite community in verse 7. Repeat to them, to your kids, to the next generation, again and again to your children. Talk to them about when, talk to them. Start that again. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. We might say that in today's society when you're at the dinner table, when you're in the car going to soccer practice or baseball practice or a dance recital or a band concert before bed. What words do you speak to your kids when they first get out of bed in the morning? You know, I think sometimes we try to oversimplify in a lot of ways what discipleship looks like or we put a lot of stress on ourselves and we go, okay kids, we're going to sit down seven nights a week. We're going to read 15 verses of scripture. So I need everybody to sit perfectly still on the couch and listen why mom or dad reads. And we didn't do it last night. So now we have 30 verses to read tonight. And before we know it, we're reading 130 verses. And it feels like such a burden. What if it's about building routine in our lives that allow us to engage in the faith development of our kids. For us, one of the best times I have with my oldest son is after school every day. I pick him up five days a week from school. And he could probably tell you that when I get in the car, my dad's gonna ask me three questions. What went well today? Or What was the best part? What was the worst part? And Is there anything else I need to know? And you know what, most days those conversations go like, We had pizza for lunch and it was great. Or we got to play soccer at gym and I loved it. And math was hard. But every once in a while, we get to have a deeper conversation. So the other day I said, hey, what was the best part of school? And he started telling me about it. And he says, dad, you know, in science class, we're learning about evolution. And he said, why don't you believe in evolution, dad? It's a fact. Now, before I get too far into this, There are faithful Christians on both sides of this argument, and I'm not trying to argue about whether there's micro or macro evolution or any of those kind of things. What I want you to see is I had an opportunity right there in front of me in my daily routine to engage my kid in a faith conversation. I could just yell at him and tell him I thought evolution was nuts, or I could tell him that you don't even know what I believe. That's, That's not even what I believe. What I chose to ask him was this. Josiah, if evolution is fact, can you prove it scientifically? Right? Can you recreate the process in a science science lab? Because that's how you prove fact in science. And I looked at him and I said, you know, I'd have a hard time telling you that creationism is fact because I can't recreate it. Where are you as parents As grandparents, as mentors, as kids who are, as adults who are investing in the life of kids, where are you creating routine that allows you to invest in their life, that allows you space to have conversations, that makes them feel safe coming and asking you questions? Church, if we want to be a church that has families, and helps families raise kids who look and act like Jesus, if we want to raise kids who, like Jesus, grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, we have to take very seriously our growing relationship with Jesus and realize we always have another step to take. So what step will you take this week? When it comes to modeling faith, telling stories, investing in community, making it a routine, what baby step can you take this week? Maybe what you really need to do is take a look at your routines you're already in and start to identify places where you can make space. Maybe your baby step this week will be downloading the YouVersion Bible app on your phone and allowing them to provide you a daily Bible verse that you read every morning as you wake up. Maybe your baby step will be choosing to join a small group where you can meet other adults who will invest in you and your kid's life, who will help you model faith for them. How the next generation is doing with God says a lot about how we're doing. What are we gonna do this week for the sake of the next generation? Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this instruction from Moses. We thank you that it can be so practical. And God, I pray for the families who are here today. I pray for the kids who are here today. God, give these parents wisdom Wisdom to know how to handle the situations that are being thrown at them. Situations that change daily. And responses that need to change what feels like daily. God, be with these kids. Help them see that you are a God who loves them, who wants to walk with them, who's not going to abandon them. God, I pray that you bring friends and teachers and coaches and mentors into their lives so that each one of these kids would know there's a huge team of adults around them who love them and who want to invest in them, who care about them and want them to know how much Jesus loves them. God, thanks for being a church that prioritizes families, that prioritizes the next generation, and that comes around to support and encourage them. God, for those of us who aren't parents, help us to know what to say, to lift the spirits of parents, to walk alongside and to provide what they need. Give us the courage to show up in those hard situations when parents feel like they've failed with encouraging words that speak life and truth into their lives. Thanks for your graciousness with us, God. Thanks for your patience with us. Draw us close to you by the power of your Holy Spirit, draw us deeper and deeper into relationship with you so that we can change the world around us. So that they can see how much you love them by how much we love them. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.